listening to The Daily, Daily Caller Podcast on iTunes and thedailycaller.com. All righty. Hello again, everyone, and welcome to The Daily, Daily Caller Podcast. I am Derek Hunter. I am your host. It is July 12th. 2018 got the year right today lots of stuff to get to tons of things to talk about we're going to start of course with the supreme court the deep dive into brett kavanaugh donald trump's nominee to replace retiring justice anthony kennedy has begun and the media is digging 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 deep and ooh, they found some dirt so far. It's really pathetic what the links to which they'll go and what they can what people will get riled up over. What people will get worked up over. The uh, website BuzzFeed, which is uh, if you don't know it, good for you. If you do, uh, my apologies and the apologies of anybody who knows what BuzzFeed is. Uh, it's a shame. It's a listicle website. It's a clickbait website that purports to do news. They don't really do news. They do garbage like this. They found a story. They went digging deep. The, the important works. Uh, there's nobody at BuzzFeed probably who could actually read Supreme or, uh, Court decisions, court rulings opinions judge kavanaugh has written over 300 of them you would think that maybe they would just i don't know look into some of the cases that he's adjudicated over his career but no no that's not where buzzfeed rolls they've got a stop the presses moment headline the yale because you know kavanaugh went to yale and they have all those secret societies those rich guys up at Yale, they like to have their secret societies. It's kind of funny because they only seem to matter when it's a Republican. George W. Bush joins Skull and Bones, and suddenly it's all kinds of conspiracies. What's going What? What is Skull and Bones? We must find out about this secret society. It's a, it's a nerd club. It's a dude club trying to meet chicks and sitting around drinking. Well, uh, BuzzFeed, headline. The Yale Secret Society, Brett Kavanaugh joined was mostly about drinking, Yale alumni say. (laughs) Oh, my God. Stop the presses. A guy in college consumed alcohol, and he may have done it before he was of legal age. Brett Kavanaugh, they write, President Donald Trump's pick for for Supreme Court justice was in a secret society at Yale called Truth and Courage, a lofty name for what was, in reality, an all-male club that one former member said more closely resembled a fraternity. (gasps) What? Who knew? This is what happens. Whether you decide to call it a club, this is what happens in college. Whether you decide to call it a club, and if you have money, and up at Yale people have money, so they could probably afford to rent someplace, more than likely they met in somebody's room, dorm room or something. You you hang out with like-minded people. Maybe you give yourself nicknames. But mostly you drink alcohol and try to have a lot of fun and maybe meet some girls. That's the college experience. That's the reality of life. BuzzFeed has quite a long piece on this secret society, truth and courage. Ooh, when really it was just pretty much anybody's experience in college. I didn't join a frat. I'm not much of a joiner and i certainly wasn't somebody that a frat would want to have i had an attitude but i hung out with my friends and we at the ripe age of 18 were drinking alcohol 
I know. Shocking, right? I went to school in Detroit. So once we turned 19, we could go to Canada. And boy, howdy, uh, it was legal to drink over there. So it didn't really matter. And you could also stop at the duty-free store on the way back from Canada. That was open 24 hours. That sold beer 24 hours. Plus, in downtown Detroit, there was an unofficial policy. At least I think it was unofficial. At least at the uh, liquor stores near my school. If you could carry it to the counter... You could buy it. Or if you wanted liquor, which was behind the counter, if you had the money, you could buy it as well. They didn't really check IDs. It was quite lovely for the college experience. It was a lot of fun. But to think that this is somehow a story worthy of reporting is how pathetic the media is. Now, I don't mean to just pick on BuzzFeed. This is what you come to expect from BuzzFeed. When you name your website BuzzFeed, this is what you get. This is who you are. But the Washington Post is supposed to be just a little bit more, I don't know, highbrow, newsworthy, serious, if you will. They've also been doing a deep dive into Brett Kavanaugh's past, and they came up with their own scoop. All presses were stopped. This was done by their investigative team. And it actually, let's see here, the headline... Supreme Court nominee Brett Kavanaugh piled up credit card debt by purchasing Nationals tickets, White House say. <clears throat> White House says, sorry. Okay, so Brett Kavanaugh is a baseball fan. Brett Kavanaugh went in on season tickets with other people, and he had some credit card debt like a normal human being. But guess what happened? Over the course of his lifetime, he paid off his credit card debts like a normal human being, a responsible human being does. This is not unique to Brett Kavanaugh. There's no allegations whatsoever that somehow big credit card decided to give Brett Kavanaugh a pass on the 40 grand he racked up at strip clubs across the country. No, he paid off his debts. So much so that they have been below, starting in 2017, below the level of needing to be reported on government <laughs> reporting papers, meaning it's just a few thousand dollars if it still exists. It's so far down that it doesn't matter. But to sit there, it's, oh, he spent money on credit card debt and he bought season tickets to a baseball team. Split, by the way, with friends, apparently. So he only got a partial season ticket pass with a bunch of people, presumably a bunch of people. It's not uncommon in Washington, D.C. or anywhere in the country for people to go in on season ticket packages because, you know what? They're expensive. There are 81 games. Major League Baseball plays 162 games. You can't buy 81 of them at home. If you buy tickets to 81 Major League Baseball games, that becomes expensive even if you get a bulk discount and crappy seats. So you get four or five friends and you say, all right, we'll all go through the season, we'll pick out the games that we want to go to, and we'll split it half season. Instead of costing thousands of dollars, it'll cost a few hundred dollars. And guess what? You get to go to 10 or 15 baseball games throughout the season. Pretty sweet deal, pretty normal, but normal doesn't exist anymore, especially when it comes to Brett Kavanaugh. This is just the beginning. They're going to be picking through his garbage. They're going to be picking, if he has a septic tank in his house, they're going to be picking through that. They're going to be going to his church on Sunday and badgering people who attend his church 
finding out what do you know about Brett Kavanaugh? What do you know about this Brett Kavanaugh guy? Did you know that he drank in college? Did you know that he had credit card debt that he paid off responsibly like an adult? This is where we are in 2018. This is a level of insanity that we have. This is crazy. I get it. You want to do a puff piece, you want to do a profile piece and say, hey, you know, one of the interesting factoids about Brett Kavanaugh is he's not a wealthy man. He had credit. He suffered from credit card debt. He racked up some credit card debt and he's paid it off, just like most people. That's fine. But to do it as part of your investigative team and make the fact that he likes baseball part of the big investigation like this will be submitted to a pulitzer panel possible award this is where we are this is journalism this is this is sad quite frankly and pathetic but not as sad and pathetic as msnbc's katie tur spelled t-u-r i swear at some point in her history your family's history they dropped the d it just had to be there katie was uh katie's msnbc host she made news uh, i guess it was probably five or six months ago when she compared her doing journalism which she doesn't do particularly well to firefighters the journalists are just like firefighters they run toward the fire she was praising herself journalists are not like firefighters at all firefighters don't go into people's houses don't go digging into people's lives and don't go and try to find dirt on people to try and ruin them politically firefighters actually go and try and save human beings lives that's a significant difference but not to katie tur well katie tur on her show yesterday on msnbc got a little bit confused if i haven't mentioned it yet katie ain't all that bright She's nice, she's pretty, she can read a teleprompter, but when she goes off teleprompter, that's when the fun begins. And that's her problem here. Listen to, well, first of all, there's much wrong with what she's about to say. One of the things is that she seems to think that the Constitution is just an old document. It's kind of like Ezra Klein, who is viewed by the left as some sort of wunderkind genius, because he used to blog on all kinds of stuff and liberals agreed with what he wrote. So he got a job at the Washington Post. Then he went and co-founded Vox, which really has been an embarrassment of uh, errors to the left and to journalism and to reporting. He once said that the Constitution is like 200 years old. Why are we still following this? It's so old. Katie Turr is of that school of thinking. It's rather pathetic. She also seems to think that the Constitution is the Declaration of Independence. Well, let's just let Katie Turr explain. Based on where Americans stand on the issues, and Americans have really moved in a much more progressive direction over the years, do you think it's appropriate to continue to take such a, a strict originalist um, view of the Constitution, given it's, it's 2018 and not 1776? couple of things. We'll get to the uh, progressive business in a second, but the Declaration of Independence was written in 1776. That's why we celebrate the 4th of July as a holiday. That is when we declared our independence. Katie Turr should know that. The U.S. Constitution is not the Declaration of Independence. She doesn't seem to know that. Now you sit there and you can say, well, Derek, 
the uh, it's just a gaffe. No, no, no. It's it's not a gaffe. This is common knowledge, or at least it should be. The Constitution was written in 1787. It went into effect essentially 1789 after it was ratified by the states. But there's a huge difference between the two. That aside, her basic ignorance of it aside, I don't give Katie Tour a pass because her and her profession and her ilk and her network give no quarter to anyone on the right who makes a gaffe like that. Remember the, uh, the absolute fit that the left threw media journalists through when Mitt Romney in 2012 said that he had binders full of women? Like, oh, binders full of women. <laughs> they mocked him relentlessly. He meant, and in the context, he clearly said, binders full of women's resumes that he was trying to get hire when he was governor of Massachusetts as many qualified women as he possibly could. But they mocked him relentlessly for it. They were ruthless about it binders full of women as if it were some kind of scandal it was counted as a gaffe they gave no pass they gave no quarter so i'm sorry katie tur you have an entire team of researchers you have to put on a television show i don't think people realize how many people have to be involved to get an hour's worth of worthless cable news on the air on msnbc there are at least 20 people who work on that show producers directors camera people everybody they're all not feeding her information but her as the host have the ult has the ultimate responsibility to make sure that she knows what the hell she's talking about because she's the one on air yes there's a team of people who are supposed to feed her things but if you're going to try and make an argument that it's 2018 and not 1776 you might want to look up the document you're talking about if you don't know it offhand she sits in judgment of everybody else. Therefore, she is fair game to be judged in my mind. And that's just stupid. That's just ignorant. That is, she, she doesn't know the difference between the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution. I guarantee you that. The problematic part is also the well, Americans have become more progressive than what they define as progressive. Most Americans ascribe to the philosophy of leave me the hell alone and I'll leave you alone. A common courtesy. Rugged individualism. That is not progressive. That is the opposite of progressive, as a matter of fact. Progressive is collectivism. Progressive is you are responsible for everybody else and everybody else is responsible for you. It takes a village. We all must work together. Everybody must pay their fair share. Equality of outcomes. Everybody's oppressed. We must all work together. And some people are just going to have to pay more because it's just not fair otherwise. That's progressive. The American people have decidedly not moved in that direction. I know the left likes to pretend that they're wildly unpopular and they lost the House of Representatives only because of gerrymandering. That is the there was a big documentary on MSNBC I watched a couple of weeks ago on a weekend about it. Oh, gerrymandering. It's that's why the Republicans have the House of Representatives. That doesn't explain why the Republicans have the majority of governor's mansions. That doesn't explain why Republicans have a majority and have had a majority for some time in the United States Senate. You can't gerrymander 
the popular vote for the Senate or the popular vote for governor or even the popular vote for president. And Donald Trump won significantly more states than Hillary Clinton did in 2016. It's very important, significant. But that's not the way the left rolls. They choose the unit of measure. It's kind of funny because they talk about, well, Hillary Clinton, she won more votes and Democrats got more votes than Republicans did for the House of Representatives. But there are more Republicans. It's got to be gerrymandering. Yeah, you you dominate 80, 90 percent districts out in California in our most popular state our most populous state. It's not the most popular state. Yeah, you're going to rack up more votes and New York too, the second most populous state. That doesn't mean anything. That's like saying I won the popular vote and therefore I should be president. Oh, that's nice. All well and good. You get a nice sweet little ribbon. We can maybe even print you up an embossed certificate. That's not how we elect presidents. That's not how we work. If there's 18 million more votes out of California, what does that have to do with a governor's race or a Senate race in Michigan? Nothing. But the left want to conflate the two because it's to their political advantage to manipulate and to argue that. It's not honest. When you decide the unit of measure, you will always be the tallest, the smartest, the brightest, the best looking, the funniest, whatever you want to be. When you decide what counts. But when it's external, when it's unambiguous, when the rules are set, suddenly you're not as popular, you're not as handsome, you're not as funny, you're not as charming. It's weird how that works. That's why the left always wants to change the rules when they lose. One of my favorite things, this is just an aside here, one of my favorite liberal argument talking points, well, there's a couple of them. One is, do you know that Montana has you know fewer people than the city of Los Angeles, but they're both both have two votes in the Senate. That's unfair. No, that's a constitutionally limited republic. We are a republic. They always talk about that. They always whine. that's their newest thing. They they lose the Senate and they whine about how the Senate is elected, and they think that somehow the Senate should become the House of Representatives, which it slowly is becoming. And if we fully get rid of the filibuster, then it will become the House of Representatives. But it's garbage argument. It is a garbage argument, just like most of their arguments. Hillary Clinton won the popular vote. Therefore, we should get rid of the Electoral College. No, the Electoral College is there for a very specific reason. Just because civics classes no longer teach it and the left doesn't want you to know it. We are supposed to be a union of states, hence the name the United States of America. We are not supposed to be one collective nation. We are a bunch of states getting together, forming a federal government that can handle the things that the state governments individually can't handle. That, if you read the Constitution, is pretty much all the federal government is supposed to do, the things that the state cannot handle on its own. Of course, the left has bastardized it to the point that it can do just about anything. It can grant rights, it can take away rights, it can force you to care, it can charge you with crimes that shouldn't be crimes, and we're moving in a direction where speech is going to be criminalized soon. This is the level of insanity of the left. So when Katie Turr confuses the Declaration and the Constitution, it's not by accident, it's out of ignorance, blissful ignorance 
When you don't revere those documents, you don't bother to learn about them. You don't bother to read them in most cases. She doesn't give a damn. She's got her agenda. She's got what she thinks. The country is more progressive now than ever. No, no, no. The country always wanted to be left alone. And under our Constitution, states are free to do pretty much anything they want. They can't do is reach into other states. And if there's one thing that leftists love to do is tell other people how they have to live. For example, the hysteria right now. Oh, my God. Roe v. Wade. First of all, they say it's law of the land. It isn't technically the law of the land. Laws are passed by Congress and signed by the president. Roe versus Wade was a court decree. It's a significant difference between the two. Not to somebody like Katie Turr, but to real human beings who understand and read the Constitution and revere the document. Then, yes, there is a significant difference. Anyway, I've gone off far too long here. But I just thought that was kind of funny and indicative of the media. I bet you... When you do television, and the hosts in particular, they have a little earpiece in there. And the producers, the director, anybody can pretty much whisper into their ear. A lot of these people get their information fed to them that way. Their questions fed to them. They, they're not, you don't have to be that bright to be a television host. You just have to be able to have somebody talking into your ear and repeat it as if it was your thought. Nobody in the control room, nobody apparently on Katie Turr's staff knows when the Constitution was written and knows that there's a difference between the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution of the United States. Or they don't care. I suspect they all view it the same way. They, don't, they view it as an impediment to what they want. Anyway, if, if Roe v. Wade were overturned, that I was going to say, if Roe v. Wade were overturned, law of the land, if it were overturned, it would not make abortion illegal. That would free up the 50 states to decide what they wanted to do on their abortion laws, as it should be. If you live in Mississippi, if you live in Alabama, if you live in Montana, you might have more restrictions placed on abortion. I'm not sure any state would ever straight up ban it completely. Maybe some would. That would be their choice. But what you could do as an American citizen is vote against your governor, vote against your state representatives, or what the founding fathers really wanted, what the founding fathers really supported, is you could get up and move or just go to another state if that's what you wanted. The United States was set up to be sort of a competition of, fifth, of, well, at the time, 13 colonies, 13 states. It was set to be 13 different Petri dishes where they could choose to govern themselves however they saw fit within the confines of the Bill of Rights and what worked in one state might not work in another state. But if something, if New York tried something and Pennsylvania tried the exact opposite and whatever New York tried was going gangbusters and whatever Pennsylvania tried was really screwing everything up, theoretically, Pennsylvania would then say, well, let's take a look at what New York did. Maybe we can adopt it for us. But what works in New York won't, probably work simply by transplanting it 
to Pennsylvania because they're two different economies, two different sets of people, two different geographies, two different needs, and two different sets of people who have different wants. So New York's idea could come to Pennsylvania, but Pennsylvania is free to tweak it however they see fit to fit into Pennsylvania and so on. That's how a republic, the United States of America, our republic, was supposed to work. But the left said, well, it works in New York, or even if it doesn't work in New York, we want it in New York, therefore we want it everywhere. And that's the real problem. They've used the federal government, they've bastardized the Constitution, and they just make the federal government impose the will of mostly the coasts, quite frankly, on the rest of the country through the courts, not through the legislative process. The most contentious, actually the, the most left-wing liberal victories, in quotes, in the last uh, couple of decades have not come through the legislative process except for Obamacare, where they then had to bastardize the rules of the Senate to make that happen. They've come through the courts. They've come through decrees, lawsuits. Again, the people who chant, this is what democracy looks like, at their marches are the least democratic group of people on the planet. The irony is not lost on people who think for a living. So yeah, Katie Turr doesn't get a pass. Anyway, I've gone on way too long about Katie Turr. There's other stuff to get to. Few more things to get to before we call it a day. <laughs> I told you yesterday about Sasha Baron Cohen and the confrontation or post-confrontation, post-interview confrontation he had with Sarah Palin where Sarah, Sasha Baron Cohen had posed as a disabled veteran to pull some sort of prank on her. I guess his show premieres this weekend, so the world will know soon enough what the so-called prank or joke was supposed to be. But Sarah Palin wasn't the only person targeted by Sasha Baron Cohen. There's a whole list of people, Democrats and Republicans. Apparently, he's been filming the show for a year. One of the people is now raising a stink. Another one of the people is former Congressman Joe Walsh. This story from Entertainment Weekly kind of cracked me up. <laughs> Sasha Baron Cohen has apparently added another target to his collection. Congressman-turned-radio host Joe Walsh took to Twitter to claim that he, too, uh, was duped by Baron Cohen for his new prank comedy series on Showtime and is calling for a boycott of the show. Now, this is where it gets funny, and this will let you know that it's... Uh, everybody up on Capitol Hill has an ego, just some egos need a zip code. Walsh alleges that Baron Cohen's team set him up in a Washington, D.C. hotel in February to take part in a bogus pro-Israel event that bestowed him with an award for his, quote, significant contributions to the state of Israel, end quote. Walsh said he was told that past recipients included luminaries like Tony Blair, Rupert Murdoch, Bono, and Steven Spielberg. So here's just a pro tip for anybody out there listening to avoid being pranked like this. If you are a, let's just say hypothetically, a former backbench congressman, 
And that's what Joe Walsh was, a former backbench congressman. And you are being awarded something that was given to Tony Blair, Rupert Murdoch, Bono, and Steven Spielberg, or any group of A-listers you can think of. If you're getting that award now, too, either the organization giving it out has fallen on some really tough times or you're being pranked. Just putting that out there. Now, of course, he's going to call for a boycott because I imagine he comes off looking like a fool on this. If you really think that you as a former backbench member of Congress and now a local radio host, I think in Florida, are going to get an award that they've given to Steven Spielberg, Rupert Murdoch, Bono, and Tony Blair, you're ripe for the picking. And you probably made yourself look like a fool. You probably went in there with a bit of an ego and really high expectations and a lot of love for yourself. So, yeah, there you go. There's your pro tip for the day. Finally, uh, not the final story, but finally, the kids in Thailand, the soccer team, the 12 soccer players, the 12 boys and their coach have been freed from the cave over in Thailand. That's good news. But I don't know that anybody's ever actually done a reckoning of how they ended up so deep, I'm talking more than a mile down in a cave, that you have to, it was tough to get into. Even if there hadn't been water in there from the monsoons, apparently you it was not big enough for somebody to swim through the passageway while wearing an oxygen tank. That's part of what took so long to get them out of there. At some point now, there there are, of course, Hollywood producers sniffing around, and there's talk of making a movie about these kids. But shouldn't we have a conversation about how they ended up in this place where there were signs saying, don't go in here during monsoon season because this could happen to you? Shouldn't we have that conversation? Doesn't seem like anybody wants to have that conversation. I'd like to have that conversation because while I celebrate these kids and their coach being rescued, I want to know why they were dumb enough to go down there in the first place, past all the signs telling them not to go down there because what happened could easily happen to them. No one wants to talk about that. They'll be celebrated. There will be a movie. I'm sure that left will be pissed off at who is cast to star in the movie. But, uh, yeah, I, I just find that interesting that nobody's ever talked about why the, why were you down there? Why'd you walk past the signs? They spent millions of dollars trying to rescue these people. Somebody's responsible. Maybe the coach should be charged with being stupid. He was the adult on site who should have said, yeah, you know what? We'll come back when it's not monsoon season, when we're not likely to get trapped down there. Not to mention the fact that one hero rescuing them died trying to rescue them because of the flooding. So remember that person. Cheer their rescue. Remember the person who died. But then we have to get some answers about how in the hell this happened in the first place because it should not have happened in the first place. Finally tonight, breaking news again. Stop all the presses again. A porn star was arrested for someone touching her, someone paying to see her touching her. But this isn't just any porn star, ladies and gentlemen. This is Stormy Daniels. She, uh, suing the president, 
It's, it's ridiculous. She's suing the president to get out of the non-disclosure agreement so she can talk freely about something she's talked freely about on 60 Minutes and something her lawyer won't shut up about. She was arrested in Ohio for uh, allowing allegedly, allegedly, customers to touch her at a strip club. And Ohio law does not allow someone not related to the person to touch a nude or semi-nude dancer. And if somebody related to a nude or semi-nude dancer is touching them, they should probably be arrested too, quite frankly. But uh, this is Ohio. What are you going to do? You can make that joke if you grow up in Michigan. This is the world that we live in. Michael Avenatti, her lawyer, tweeted out, just received word that my client Stormy Daniels was arrested in Columbus, Ohio, whole, uh, whole, supposed to be while, while performing the same act she has performed across the nation at nearly 100 strip clubs. This was a setup and politically motivated. It reeks of desperation. We will fight all bogus charges. Hashtag BASTA. He's trying to make Basta into a thing. He's probably copywritten it or at least selling merchandise with it on there because he's dumb and a money-grubbing lawyer. But you got to love that. This is politically motivated. It's a setup. Oh, somebody's grabbing your client. It's a setup. Now, God forbid, in Washington, D.C., when she was here, I think it was last week, or maybe she's yet to get here. Maybe she'll be here this week. Who knows? Who cares? Uh, you can buy VIP seats at the strip club where she was or will be performing for 10 grand. What do you think you get for 10 grand from a porn star? I believe the going rate is five grand per scene. So what do you think you get if you pay 10 grand to sit and just watch her writhe around on a stage and spin on a pole? I don't think that you're dealing with somebody who particularly follows societal norms or laws and maybe, just maybe, somebody she let somebody get a little friendly. Who knows? I think the person who grabbed her should have been arrested, too. But the idea that somebody, a porn star, would be uh, arrested because somebody touched them, I'm not really sure that's breaking news or a scandal, and I'm fairly certain I would bet a lot of money on the fact that the White House did not put the strip club in Ohio on notice to make sure we're sending somebody in there to touch Stormy Daniels in violation of state law, and therefore she can be arrested right then and there. But this will probably lead Morning Joe today. This will probably be the top story on CNN today. And Michael Avenatti will get more attention today because we have a terrible media in this country, a really just pathetic media in this country. And Michael Avenatti and Stormy Daniels really are the personifications of how far we've fallen as a society. So congratulations to them. She'll get a higher appearance fee at her next strip club. He'll get more appearances on MSNBC and CNN. He might even be invited back on the Colbert show, whatever the hell it's called, Late Night with Stephen Colbert or whatever. It's just not funny. That's all I know about it. This is America in 2018, ladies and gentlemen. These are the progressive heroes. How much you want to bet that either Stormy Daniels and or Michael Avenatti deliver a speech from the stage at the 2020 Democratic National Convention? I'd say the odds are about 50-50 at this point. That's all the time we have for today, ladies and gentlemen. I hope you like the show. Tell a friend. Spread the word. Share it on Facebook. 
Subscribe on iTunes and all the other ways you can subscribe. Rate and review it. Tweet it out. Do whatever you got to do. I appreciate it. You can email me, Derek at DailyCaller.com or follow me on Twitter at Derek A. Hunter and buy my book, Outrage, Inc., How the Liberal Mob Ruined Science, Journalism, and Hollywood. Otherwise, tomorrow's edition is the Friday video edition of the podcast. Audio edition will be available as well. We'll see you then. See you tomorrow.